My name is Rosalind O, oh, and you are listening to True Heroes, a podcast about the ordinary people with extraordinary missions to make the world a better place one day at a time. Today, I'm joined by Federico Biadene, who is a program analyst at Partnerships for Forests, a program that aims to mobilize investment into sustainable land use and avoid deforestation. We talk about an up and coming city in Kenya that you've likely never heard of. Discovering your passions as you go along in your early career, and what part you can play to combat climate change. Enjoy the show. I mean, as kind of backdrop to this interview, I think we must go、um, full disclosure that we are friends and colleagues. So、yes. we know each other. So we're not coming at it from、uh, fresh eyes from、yeah. point, to a degree. But I actually don't know all the stories. Um, from like as to how you came to、uh, Partnerships for Forests, which is the current program you work in,、mm-hmm. because I we met each other only what like eight months ago.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, about eight months, eight months, like eight or something. Or yeah, because I because I've only been in the UK for eight months. So or twenty eight months. Wow, I've been in the UK for twelve. What?、Well, yeah, twelve in a few days. Oh my god.、Ah. You're you're what like three one point five times more experienced in the UK than me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so much more. Okay.、Cool. I've lived. <laughs> you've lived. Yeah, you've lived the full life. Um. So I guess the first thing, um, the only real way to start off an interview is to ask you to introduce yourself.、Um, mm-hmm. Federico Biadene. Biadene. Yeah. Fede.、Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Please. Um, well, I would say I work in the UK as we established、mm-hmm. uh, for a government-funded program,、uh, which has a bunch of projects in、uh, forest and land use. So we have a portfolio of projects that we manage across the tropics.、Um, before coming to the UK, I lived in Kenya for a year and a half,、uh, where I worked at two social enterprises. Uh, one was doing some sort of microfinancing, in-kind microfinancing,、um, implementing an in-kind microfinancing business model, whereas the second one was basically a forestry company,、uh, which didn't buy land to plant trees, but rather、uh, provided tree seedlings to farmers,、um, and therefore cutting the operation costs of a forestry company while giving a job to. Um, some farmers in coastal Kenya, which was really interesting. Okay. Yeah, and then I somehow ended up、um, working here in the UK because I found out later that my current employer、mm. is funding my former employer.、Mm. So、mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, <laughs> we got that weird. Connection exactly that weird complex throwback. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Basically a throwback that so you can't really run away from your、um, ex bosses. <laughs> I might I might actually see one of them this、oh. summer. Yeah, we have a big、um, event in London, and I know that he'll be there probably. So oh, that's true. That is true. He's being invited, so、mm-hmm. we'll see. If it's、um, throwback time, <laughs> yeah, reunite, yeah, reunite with the old team. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I haven't thought about that. <laughs>、um, cool. There's okay. So within your long journey, there's going to be so much to unpack within that.、Um, 
kind of, oh, by the way, uh, so some of the noises you might be hearing is uh, tea. Is Fede's drinking tea because we are in England and clearly there's nothing else you would do. No, plus I'm clumsy. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so all the all the pleasurable noises of uh, of Fede drinking tea uh, for your ears. <laughs> um, is there anything else you would identify yourself with? Anything fun up outside of your professional life? Ah, outside of my professional yeah, life. As context. Okay, as context. Um, what do I enjoy doing? I enjoy learning new languages. Um, that's something I try to do as much as possible, even if it's just reading a book in French mm. every now and then. That's something I'm trying. Um, I do some boxing, uh, which proved to be my... Um, I sort of stumbled upon it mm-hmm. um, in a dark moment of my life, uh, and it really really changed me as a person um and yeah oh. found, a, found a true calling a true passion in in boxing uh rather than other team sports really um, which i tried before i tried volleyball uh-huh uh without much success because i was okay. one of the shortest yeah i know i'm six foot three now mm-hmm. but i used to be i don't know oh back when you were playing you weren't as i was like 13 or 14 and i had a 10 in foot size okay. and I was like I, I can't do the conversion in feet but I was like 1 meter 80 and I still was too short oh yes. my goodness okay 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 interesting interesting so uh, now I know that uh, I'm never destined for any volleyball <laughs> ever um, yeah volleyball is is fierce I was good on defense though okay is, is it because uh, as an offense you have to be closer to the net and jumping over the net yeah, so kind of. Taller. Okay. I could. I we did the test. I could jump about. I could touch probably three meters or something uh-huh. like that. And and the top guy could touch three meters thirty. Uh, okay. Um. So yeah, if you went like face to face, yeah, that, yeah, that guy I mean, would win. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Three, three meters and thirty centimeters. Yeah, we, we were like crazy, Paul. we were like the Italian champions. Hard. Oh, um, I was obviously on the on the reserve list okay. um, clearly because I was a, I wasn't one of the the uh, the strongest ones. Mm-hmm. I wasn't one of the best, but mm-hmm. I got to play in that team. I got my free merchandise every every season. <laughs> the real uh, reason. For yeah, playing. exactly. Okay, right, <laughs> great. great. Um, yeah, and you um, so. Please let me know if I've gotten this right. You've told me before coming here that you, uh, your mission uh, that you want to achieve with your work as of right now, not mm-hmm. necessarily a lifelong mission because A, things change. Life is complicated. Yeah. Um, that you want to uh, mediate between sustainable land use programs and private investment to direct more funds into environmental conservation, a.k.a. hook up khaki shorts hardcore foresters with suit and tie investors. Yes, that's exactly. I want to be Tinder for forestry, <laughs> okay. forestry and commercial capital. I don't know. It's oh, like a, a doing the match between uh, two radically separate words that speak two different languages, and they don't. I, I think there's a there's a call to action now uh, all throughout the world. We need mm. to do something about mm. our environment mm-hmm. um, and intervene more strongly. And mm. the two best equipped. Uh, communities to do so are in talking to each other. So 
we need the money, we need to, to know how to manage that money, but we also need to know how to manage our natural resources, our forests, um, and, and rivers as well. I'm <laughs> not forgetting about all the other uh, resources we need to, we need to take care of the communities that live on those um, forests um, as well, etc. So we need uh, a broad uh, range of experts mm-hmm. um, in the same room and it's not happening as of now. And I would like to be a part of that, um, mm. bringing together those groups. Could you, um, I'm going to feign a lot of innocence here, or I should really say feign ignorance here for a moment. Um, but can you kind of define what sustainable land use and what these four khaki shorts, hardcore foresters are like for anybody who has, doesn't really know about this field? Mm, okay. I, I met some in, in Kenya. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are mostly concerned about, um, Technical stuff, which I don't really understand. <laughs> How old <laughs> okay. is a tree? Yeah. Uh, what's the com- uh, composition of the soil? Mm. Which kind of tree would grow here? Which kind of tree would go there? And I kind of overheard some conversations and I, and I, and I developed a basic understanding of what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, they are really, really disconnected from those who stay in the big banks that those who say or sit in Luxembourg or Paris or Geneva or London and want to invest in, in something, want to invest in investment, which is environmentally and socially, um, sound, but I don't know how to do it. Um, so I would say it's crucial, uh, to, to link those, that, that demand, which is there because there, there's, there's new conscious investors, which are venturing into the impact investing space, for instance, is growing enormously, enormously, uh, in a matter of just a few years is doubled. Um, and at the same time, we need to connect those foresters, which are probably, um, the traditional agronomists and forests are still a bit stuck in the old ways, like when it comes okay. to innovating, when it comes to growing and, and they, they would rather stay within the, the own little forest or landscape mm. or pilots, which is perfectly fine. It's, it's for the purpose of research, but it's not for the purpose of saving our planet. Mm. <laughs> that's interesting. I feel like, um, that's also a trend that's relevant for, I think, many other positive impact and social impact spaces mm. where there's all these people with all these experts and all the people with hands-on field experience who know all these things and who have this wealth of knowledge. And then there's people with good intentions and often the power um, and connecting those two, finding that matchmaking, that, yeah. the, the Tinder <laughs> yeah. seems to be missing for a lot of different things. And Years, um, yeah, and it's especially true for climate finance as well. Yeah. Um, that's cool. And why? Okay. So here's this crazy big challenge. And because I know that the program also spans over four continents, mm-hmm. right? Uh, uh, five regions or four regions with five offices. Um, it's giant. And why you though? Why did you get involved with this? There's so many ways to tackle climate change or even beyond climate change. There's a million issues to work on. Mm. Um, and why this? Cause I, I suppose I started from 
I started from the field, basically mm. looking at how a a smaller project get, gets implemented and grows. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to see what's happening at the source. Am I, because I, well, this time I spent in Kenya was my, basically the beginning of my professional career. So mm-hmm. I had some couple of internships before, but I wouldn't count them uh, as, as, relevant to what I do now. They still taught me something, uh, but it were more, they weren't planned, I would say. Whereas, um, the first Kenyan experience wasn't even fully planned. I would say, um, it was something that I, I took a leap of faith, I would say. Um, and I then ended up loving this, this time of work, which mm-hmm. led me to get a second job in Kenya. However, at a certain point, I, I realized, um, okay, I've been here for almost a year and a half. I think I've had enough of the country or the area, I would say. Let, let, let me change. Let's do something different. Mm. Um, and I wanted to see how it works from this side. So from this side where the money is, mm. from where the investors are, basically. Yeah. Um, also, as a European, why would I discount my continent as a as a as an as a place to work in mm-hmm. um so i want to see how it works from both sides if i decided to change and stay in africa i probably wouldn't have ended up would have ended up doing something quite different probably mm. would have been more practical would be more about building stuff sure. um but i think this is more on a strategic level, I can see how a global program, global portfolio works uh, in our very interconnected world. I can I can now see through uh, the rationale behind why we're doing a specific intervention in a specific region. And I can see the, the parallelism between the, the comparison between what I was doing in Kenya, literally, because now we are funding that project. Mm. I can see the the comparison between that project and and, and another project project we might be in Indonesia or Ghana or Brazil. Um, I really see the the linkages between them, mm. which is interesting. It's a it's a new perspective and it's something that I would never have gotten by staying there in the same place. Yeah, it's very yeah exactly. It's very rare that you get to um, sit at the opposite end of the board boardroom table <laughs> um so so fast um yeah. right in, in sequence really um so yeah that's that's exactly that's a very interesting kind of retrospective that you got on um your year and a half in Kenya and yeah well, I, I would love to hear more about that because I I don't know anything about it and I'm really curious um at personally as well as for the um for uh the podcast as well um do, how did you how did you end up in Kenya? I know you said it it kind of came about as it wasn't planned. It just serendipitous kind of. Um, yeah. Tell me that story. Um. Okay. So I was I was in Holland. I was studying in Holland, and I uh, was basically starting to write my master thesis. I had a job uh, to pay for my studies. Um. Basically, you get a loan from the Dutch government um, if you work in there. Um, I was I was basically juggling this um, this thoughts in my mind of 
why don't I skip the um, writing my master thesis now and I take some time to do something in practice, see if I like it, and then write my master thesis on it rather than um, do it blindly and not knowing what I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was sort of a, it's basically a protest <laughs> against. Um, okay. It's all. It was almost as a process against my decision to get into a master so fast uh, in the first place because mm-hmm. I've gotten uh, into a bachelor degree which had nothing to do with what I did in high school. Can, can I um, ask what it was? I did a biological, um, like a, a course, uh, an elective, basically program, which was. Intense in biology, uh, many hours in biology, chemistry, physics, mathematics, alongside well the usual like Latin, um, wow, Italian so, high school, so geography, <laughs> history, philosophy, that kind of stuff, English literature, um, and I kind of like as a again as a as a rebel decision. I sort of decided to change because I got bored out of it. I, I suppose at the beginning I wanted to be a doctor or a veterinarian because I'm very passionate about animals and I love dogs and I love, mm. well, you need to love cows as well if, you don't, yeah. if you're going for a vet course. But yeah, and and then I ended up doing a business and management degree simply because it was one of the first in English, taught fully English in Italy. Mm. And that was just an excuse to basically get out of the country, like see the world a little bit more. And then after my, um, my bachelor, I straight away went into a master, uh, instead of taking some time to work a little and then focus on the right master for me. I think it, it's a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's all about getting your titles as soon as possible and then getting a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in the Anglo-Saxon culture, I would say, um, it's more about, okay, you would get your bachelor, take some time to work and then decide whether you want a master or you want something more. Um, and we don't have that for us. It's more about the title itself and in completing it. So I, I completed my university pretty fast in four years. Um, I did bachelor and master, and then right before writing my thesis, I decided to get this job in Kenya, mm-hmm. and that's the reason why I kind of wanted to change again because I, I I didn't know what I wanted to do mm-hmm. specifically, and I ended up finding something that I'm passionate about in the end. So when you first started in microfinance, you weren't necessarily connected to forests or sustainable natural resources at all or was it still kind of oh did it all kind of weave through um i think it i think it started as at the end of my bachelor um i started reading about um microfinance um and then i got more interested about it so like i came to it as a as a business and management graduate. So like as, as someone curious about the business model and how it works. Mm. Um, and then, and then I, of course, like I, as soon as I moved to Kenya and saw how it worked in practice, got passionate about uh, all the rest that comes with it. So the, um, preserving, uh, nature around you while ensuring the communities have access to 
um, sustainable livelihoods. Um, so that that kind of, a, I think it was a, a consequence. Uh, I mean, getting passionate about microfinance was a mean to an end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the end came when, when I saw it in practice. And then how did you jump from um, that microfinance institution to Kamaza, which I mm-hmm. think it, uh, I know the name of the second company you worked for in Kenya. How did, how did that jump come about and what inspired you to make the jump? I... I suppose what inspired me to make the jump was the, um, the, their mission, the, the way they set up. Like I, I fell in love with the, with the company Kumaza as soon as I, as I read about them. Mm. Like emerging, um, emerging company was an NGO. Now it's becoming a social enterprise. Um, is, is planting trees across, uh, coastal Kenya. And they're hiring young leaders and they want to build the systems to, to then scale the company. Mm-hmm. And they've just gotten a big, big investment from, um, some Silicon Valley investors. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that was really attractive to me. Fair enough. <laughs> to be yep. fair. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I got that opportunity. And as a matter of fact, I was in Kenya with my dad, um, collecting, um, basically, well, performing interviews with some farmers for my master thesis. Oh. And I got the call one of these afternoons when I was there. Uh-huh. Um, and I saw like initially I was a little hesitant. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I wanted to take some time to think about it. Um, and then no later than 24, 48 hours, I, I knew that I was there. The choice of me. And it usually takes mm-hmm. some more time to decide. But it just clicked for you. Yeah, it clicked. Yeah, all those things. And, well, here's me as a third party, because as an outsider kind of um, making a guess here. It, it sounds to me that might have been like the turning point, which your focus was turned towards forests and trees. Um and potentially, I suppose, also climate change and eventually climate finance. Is that, yeah. is that true? Yeah. I would say, I would say it's, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I had a plan since the start. Mm-hmm. I would say I'm starting to uh, make a plan. <laughs> putting the pieces together. Yeah. 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 You didn't have an outline before, but now you're putting the pieces together and it's becoming a painting in its own right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I suppose, I suppose you can't ever plan from well you potentially can I, I i have a friend of mine who had his own plan and he managed to get through it uh, on time at, at first attempt through anything and now he's like 23 and he got into the u.s foreign service basically wow. um and that was his goal and i said he is a guy who grew up with that in mind i want to be a diplomat mm-hmm. i want to uh serve my country that way mm-hmm. um and he worked for Kumaz as well with me. So. Oh, really? Maybe around 24, 24, yeah. Mm-hmm. Still like a very impressive young person. Two years younger than me, which mm-hmm. like, I mean, I was one of the youngest there and I was already quite happy and proud of it. And then came this... Came this, <laughs> this other of, other lad with with all his specs and... Yeah. 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 And it was, it was really interesting to... Like we had a broad... 
range of expertise. We, we had the, the, on the younger side that was us, the fresh graduates basically. Mm-hmm. And then we had the 28, 29 year old, uh, more experienced, um, colleagues within the same batch. We were recruited together to basically build the systems for the, uh, social enterprise to then scale up because as of when I joined them, the, the, the structure, the, the, um, the organizational structure was still that of the nonprofit. Mm, I see. So they, yeah. So you joined them during the transition stage. Yeah. Basically. Okay. Um, yeah. Can you, well, well, were you based in Nairobi or where in Kenya? I was based in Kilifi on Kilifi. the coast. Okay. I don't know anything about Kilifi. If you, what, what does the office look like? What, what would, what did your day look like? What does Kilifi, life in Kilifi look like? Okay, um, Kilifi is a small coastal town. Um, I would say more or less in the, in the middle of the country. I would say, okay. like, um, of course on the coast, but like, yeah. I would say, I, I would say in the middle of the coast pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's between, it's, it's between areas which are really touristic. Uh, but there's a, there's a couple of hours, uh, stretch of land, which is not so touristic, mm-hmm. um, including Kilifi, mm-hmm. um, where basically it's for, um, the growing Kenya middle class. Uh, it's, it's moving, um, moving there now because it's, I mean, at least around the area, um, cause it has a really good research, uh, center, which is called Kenry, um, it's, it's basically, it's part of the Wellcome Trust. Um, and it's, it's a very good clinic, a very good private hospital, um, okay. in there, in a research center, mm-hmm. as well as the university. Uh, there's a, there's a coastal university in there. So it attracts young students and it's really, um, it's small. We, we, we wouldn't compare it to Bristol probably. Um, there's not much. Uh, to do it in the evenings, mm-hmm. um, so to say. Um, but it's still growing really fast. And, and you can tell that, um, there's companies coming, there's tourists, uh, slowly starting to come. Um, and, uh, and local communities are, uh, are thriving because of that. So you, um, I don't know, there's a, there's a company who employs, um, basically local villagers, mm-hmm. um, to produce handmade handicrafts, um, shoes and that kind of stuff. And, and you sell it at a premium, mm-hmm. obviously, usually to, um, tourists or, <laughs> yep. or the experts. Inevitably, inevitably, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it keeps the economy going. Nice, um, very nice. It was, okay. yeah, it was interesting to, to mean that, um, yeah, in that place, it was, um, was really exciting mm. as well. Even the, everyone was excited apart from being part of, uh, my company, which is what was one of the first and one of the biggest it is mm-hmm. becoming now, uh, in the area. Um, it, it was good to see that others were coming in. Um, mm. so it was refreshing also for the, for the local Kenyans, uh, mm-hmm. to finally see some activity around the area. We had a running joke with them. And, oh, what would that be? No, yeah. That I mean, it was just it. a little bit. It was just a little bit, um, boring or dull uh, as a place, mm-hmm. a paradise, mm-hmm. but a dull one. Okay. It's not um, as exciting as a, 
as a as a Nairobi. Okay. For yeah. a young Kenyan, I would say. Okay. So no crazy nightlife. No, it's only London off. Okay. <laughs> but it was getting there. But it's slowly perhaps getting there. Okay. Um then can you tell me a little bit about your day and what it's like working with partnerships for forests and um where where you feel like um impact is being made with your current program once you moved um from Kamasa to Bristol. Hmm. So from Bristol we do operate a program which spans across the tropics. So we are in daily contact with people across four continents. Um, and it's, it's kind of, we do the coordination basically and the, we try to keep them together. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but I do see a challenge there in that you are a little bit detached from the, uh, ultimate, uh, beneficiary of mm-hmm. your work. Um, so that's, that's, that's a big challenge, I would say. And, um, because our impact is there. So where do I see the impact? Um, I see it at the end of the chain. So I would say I, I can see it, uh, in the regions. I don't necessarily see a, um, action which corresponds to a reaction in Bristol. I don't see the, the, the impact of what I'm doing straight away on the communities we're trying to serve mm. and on the forests we're trying to protect. Uh, I know it is there mm-hmm. <laughs> because I need to make sure that there's a there's a strong communication between the teams and and there's a regular communication between me and each and every team. Mm. Um, and that that would say the the biggest challenge for us is to coordinate this global team mm. um, and um, and to see that impact. I would say. So how do you define? To, to go back to your question, where do you see the impact? I would say we need to find out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, smooth. Turn it around on me. <laughs> smooth. Um, then do you have any doubts? If, you, if, you're, if you're not too sure about um, the evidence of impact as of right now, I know that the program is also only three and something years old, isn't even four. Mm. Um, do you have any doubts? Do you have any struggles or do you believe that it can happen? Of course I have doubts. Um, I would say if, yeah, we need to have doubts. Doubts are healthy in this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we need to, we need to pose ourselves questions, even if they are banal. Uh, are we actually changing anything? Um, is this community better as a result of uh, the money that we are funding someone to use that mm. is, is, is really making things better. Um, but I would say that that rather than uh, that question, right. Rather than, um, than making me sad or like making me, um, how do I express my thoughts? <laughs> that, that question rather than, um, Rather than making me feel um, uncomfortable with the fact that I don't know what the impact is, it drives me to um, to understand where the impact lies. I would say mm. so. We should turn it as a as a motivation rather than a limiting factor. 
Well, that's really poignant. Yeah. I'm using the uncertainty. Um, Cause I, I, I think like I, you can see that the, there's a new pass of our work. You can see the maths, for instance, right? And now we have uh, geospatial data, which helps us. Uh, you can actually see how the situation has changed in a particular landscape if mm -hmm. the forest is being protected, if it grows again, uh, which type of trees are growing again. Um, you just need uh, to talk to a GIS expert, and we have some in the program. Mm -hmm. um, and you can actually see it with your eyes, the impact of our work over 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. The thing is, we are still at the beginning. Yeah. Um, so you know that something is going to happen because of the work we do. Mm -hmm. I think what is going to happen exactly and how many things that we haven't uh, calculated initially or we haven't thought about will happen mm. will determine how impactful will be. So I think that there's, yeah, there's, there's just in, just a certain number of things that you can think of and you can, um, yeah, within, within an intervention, you never know if there will be a drought in five years or in 10 years and yeah. it will nullify your job. Or war um, breaks out in Colombia and all the forests get burned, you know, we never know. Exactly. So I would say, um, as of now, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me that we don't really see the impact mm. of the work we're doing because we'll see it in, in a few years. But I think it's a, it's a small sacrifice to do, like knowing that you don't really know about the impact of your job. Um, That's so interesting because, yeah, Working in, I guess, if you're working on anything as big as climate change, any social issue, any environmental issue, your impact, positive impact is always way too far ahead, right? Um, but you're living in the now and you would love to know yeah. now, but there's this um, patience that's required of you as someone who's devoting their professional life to something like, uh, to a cause like this. And there's almost a part of it where obviously, like you said, good monitoring, good planning, good design being responsive, all of those things. So you, so you do all the best practices you can as a professional, but there's a part of it where you just don't know. And like, I think, it's just beyond you. And I think um, the, 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 the most important thing is we are working on a pro problem, deforestation, which affects a billion people mm -hmm. um, around the world. Those people living close to the forest, depending on the forest, etc. If we are to protect our forest. That means that we need to uh, to undertake, the entire global population needs to undertake <laughs> a cultural shift, a, a behavioral change towards understanding the importance of preserving our natural resources, um, which sometimes comes at the expense of economic development. Um, so you see many developing countries, um, quick money is better than um, preserving the forest. If, mm -hmm. if there's more money in, in cutting down the forest, they will go for it. Uh, it because there's a, there's a, there's a list of priorities. Our list of priorities in the developed world is very different from the list of priorities of a developing country's government. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just normal. Um, I would say so. One of the, of the reasons why it's also very difficult to see the impact of our work is that because our work requires behavioral change. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And behavioral change takes generations. It takes even longer than trees to grow. Mm. You might get a tree in 20 years, but you'll not get a generational change in... in 20 years is not enough for, for behavioral change within a society. Mm. Or within, even just within a community, in a limited space, in a landscape, you know. Then could one... I'm not going to put myself in those shoes because I don't necessarily feel this way. Um, but I think a lot of people can get discouraged and get worried because we mm. know that um, climate action needs to happen now. Mm. But there's also this reality of change is going to take really, really wow. long. And I think many people could get discouraged. And I think some people have gotten discouraged. Any words of hope? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So we, I think there's a, there's a tendency to make an argument for the cost of climate change, the cost of, uh, the implications that a, uh, temperature rise above 1.5 degrees, um, well, I don't know, we lose, I, I'm, I'm shooting an, an, a number. We lose two trillions in a specific area of the world. Use climate change by 2050. Instead of focusing on that, in, on that as a cost, what is the opportunity in changing the way we, uh, produce, the way we eat, the way we, uh, consume and, and reuse and recycle everything? So that's, that's just a small behavior and change that would reduce that other cost I mentioned, uh, to almost nothing. It, it would be really easy for, um, that little behavioral change. What, why doesn't that happen? It's because we are always thinking of climate change as something that is coming and we cannot do anything about. Um, and it's bigger than us, mm. which is not true. We have a role to play in it. There's still time for us to do something about it. Mm. Um, and I think we shouldn't just think of it in terms of the costs and the risks associated with climate change, but also as a, as an opportunity to, change our ways, our ways, mend our ways and, 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 and live more sustainably because that would produce an effect in the long term. Mm-hmm. That's amazing segue into what, what, well, in some ways, perhaps you've already answered my last question, which was going to be, do you have any last thing that you would um, ask from our listeners? What can our listeners do? Anything you want to challenge them to do? <laughs> Um, very easy. Eat less meat. Mm-hmm. If possible, don't eat meat. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to stick to fish. I can't give up on fish. I'm sorry. Yeah, Italian. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, meat as well is, is a big True. thing, but yeah, it's fine. I can give up meat. Um, if you are vegan, then you're the best. <laughs> and I envy you. Um, I doubt I'll ever be <laughs> as cool as you are. <laughs> no, seriously. Um, the, your environmental footprint is infinitesimal as compared to mine. So, uh, hats off. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a wrap with, um, comparing the moral superiority of vegans. Yes. Perfect. Thank you so much, Freddy, uh, for coming onto the show and for being my first guest. Thank you. Oh, that's amazing. And, um, yeah, it's, I'm just really 
very excited uh, that for Partnerships with Forest right now. And I'm in a way kind of honored also to be one part of it as well. Oh, yeah. Yay. You're a big part of it. All right. If you want to hear more about Partnerships for Forest, head on over to partnershipsforforest.com. That's both partnership and forest with an S. And to hear more about the Kenyan social enterprise that Fede was a part of, head on over to kamaza.com. That is K-O-M-A-Z-A.com. And of course, there's a lot more of where this came from. So please subscribe to True Heroes on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast right now. And if you enjoy the show, go tell a friend. Word of mouth is the number one way people find out about podcasts, especially podcasts like this one that have just started. So it would really make my day if you just send a Facebook message or WhatsApp or just tap the shoulder of that stranger you're sitting next to on the bus and tell them about this amazing podcast. Go, do it now. And thank you for lending an ear to True Heroes. Talk to you next time. You're gonna, yeah, you're gonna be a superstar soon. Um, well, I would love to make you a superstar. Bye. I would love you to make me a superstar. <laughs> okay, that's our, gonna be our mutual goal. That the first episode is gonna make you a superstar. Cool.